Well, good morning. This morning, we want to talk about right customer service. That is the key to living well in God's universe and serving people well. You know, executional excellence is all about doing the right things. There are seven key elements that I've identified. I'm not saying these are the seven key elements. These are just seven elements that, that seem to be very essential for organizations of all types, whether they're for-profit or not-for-profit, and even, even uh, individuals. You've got to get these things in order. You've got to have the right handbook. You've got to know where to go to get wisdom and discernment. You've got to have the right culture that supports alignment with the will and ways of God. You've got to have the right people, people who have C4 to do what they're called to do. You have to have the right value proposition. That is the pro value proposition God has ordained your organization to have. You have to have the right systems and processes to facilitate all this. You've got to be rightly capitalized, right resources, and finally, you have to deliver great value through customer service. So I just want to take a few moments to talk about that this morning and uh, give you some examples here. Uh, this is uh, three examples here I wanted to make note of. Uh, you have Sprint, uh, American Airlines, and Tory Burch. Well, first, Sprint, if you've been around the telecom industry as I have for some 30 years, in fact, I remember actually doing some work for Sprint when I was in the family business. We were mechanical contractors and we did uh, a Sprint facility. Uh, and I remember getting to know those people a little bit. That was early on, this was back 40 years ago. And uh, I, what I saw of the organization was not comforting or encouraging to me. I, I saw largely a focus on making money and not much interest in serving customers. They only did what they had to do uh, to make money, and which meant their customer service was always viewed as something they wanted to minimize the cost. When you start minimizing costs, you will, you will reduce your level of service and people will have frustrating experiences. And one of the experiences that I noted with them is if you went into a Sprint store, and this is what happened to me probably about 20 years ago, to get uh, service. Um, when I when I went in to get service, I was immediately taken care of. It was quick. It was it was prompt. It was courteous. Everything was nice. But when I went back to actually get support, what you would call customer service, uh, I wound up in a queue, waiting and waiting and waiting. And when I, I I went up to a manager at one point, I had waited for maybe thirty minutes and had not been helped. And I asked this manager. Uh, I said, you know, I've, I've been here watching and people are walking in the door and some go left and some go right. And the ones that go left, they get waited on immediately. But the ones that go right, they wind up in a long queue. He said, yeah, the ones that go left, they're, they're new customers. So we're, we're selling them. The ones that right, they're existing customers, we're servicing them. So you can see the priorities on getting the business, once they have you, then they're not going to put, put much priority on you. So that is not right customer service. American Airlines has got a similar kind of reputation. They have traditionally had very, uh, you know, I would say very caustic re labor relationships between management and labor. It's always been friction and difficulty between them to the point where the workers only do what they have to do to survive. They do not really go the extra mile to serve you. And sometimes you wind up with very disgruntled workers. Now, there are some that, that will serve well. I have Notice that I've had experience with flight attendants, with with uh, gate agents and people 
uh, that has been pleasant. But there's there's probably an equal number, if not close to an equal number, that are very disgruntled and angry, and they're only going to do what they have to do. And sometimes they're just kind of rude and ugly and insensitive. Well, that comes from poor relationships between management and labor. And the, the one I want to camp on this morning is Tory Birch. This is an incident that happened to me a few years ago when my one of my daughters asked for some Tory Birch shoes for Christmas, which she said she had picked them out. And she gave me the website. So I went and ordered them. I thought, everything's fine. So I ordered them in early December. Three weeks later, they had still not arrived. So I communicated with Tori Birch about my order. And it almost looked like my order had been lost, but they never admitted it. But anyway, finally, the order did arrive about two days before Christmas. And we were grateful for that. My daughter tried on the shoes on Christmas morning and they were the wrong size. I said, no problem. I will send them back and we'll get you the right size shoes. So um, I contacted Tory Birch and I did not know, but Tory Birch, which is a British company, had subcontracted their customer service out to a Chinese company that was located in Shanghai. So my email was responded to by the people in Shanghai. And here's their response exactly as it came back to me. I didn't try to correct any of their errors or anything. So I'm going to try to read it to you as best I can exactly how it came back to me. It said, uh, dear customer, thank you for your message. It is a pity that it did not fit you well. Usually when our customers meet this problem, we will give them a suggestion that they can resell it to their friends or relatives who are like it. And then you can reorder on our site. We will give you a discount. You maybe did not know that if you exchange it, you will have to pay the shipping fee. It will not only cost you money, but also the long time. In fact, we give you a suggestion that our think about you benef your benefit. Hope you will consider it. Thank you. Best regards, customer service, Tory Birch. So uh, this was the response. Now, everywhere I have read this, people just break out in laughter. Uh, people know this is not good customer service. This is terrible. To basically put all the onus on you, go sell those shoes to some friend of yours and reorder and we'll give you a little discount. If you don't do that, you're gonna spend a lot of money and take a lot of time to get these exchanges. Like, are you kidding me? So this is this to me is a great picture of how not to do it. Sadly, I don't know that Tori Birch has any clue what her customer service department is doing. If she did, surely she would not allow this to happen, but it is happening. So let me give you a definition of right customer service. This is what I think how I would define it. Customer service is the support needed to maximize the value proposition enjoyed by customers. The right customer service assumes that you are clear on your identity, that is, who you are as a person or an organization and are serving the right customers by doing the right things, the right ways in the right places at the right times for the right reasons. In other words, you, when you say right, you are saying this is the will of God or this is the way of God. So first you start out with who you are in relationship to God, your identity. You've got to be clear if you are operating or leading a listed organization, an organization that God has ordained to exist. It's ordained for to glorify him. 
then you are serving the people God has ordained for you to serve. You're doing the right things. You're, that is your value. The value proposition is what it needs to be the right ways and in the right places. That is you're serving the right geographical areas at the right times and the right reason. And the only right reason is to glorify God. So these, this is a level of thinking that organizational leaders have to get to if they want to do business according to the will and ways of God. And at the root, at the heart of this is sound biblical thinking, a biblical perspective, a Christian perspective of reality. So there are a couple of principles that play into this. One is you have to be a servant leader, and two, you have to practice the golden rule. Obviously, they're very interconnected, and uh, both have to go together. If you don't do both, you will not serve people well. So being a servant leader is what Jesus talked about in Mark 9, 35. He was talking to his disciples who were arguing about who's going to be first, who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. Or, of course, this was pride and arrogance. And Jesus didn't so much worry about correcting that. He just corrected the reality of, of how things are determined in the kingdom. And the way they're determined is if whoever wants to be first will be the very last and the servant of all. You see, what will be exalted in the kingdom of God is serving others, not you know, not self-glory. We tend to want self-glory. We want to build towers of Babel. If you remember that imagery from Genesis 11, that that particular project was all about people wanting self-glory. The end result of that is judgment because God does not support self-glory. So that's in us. That fallen nature of man is in us. Even though we know Christ, we still have vestiges of that fallen nature. And when they pop up, with a self-centeredness for self-glory, we have to know that's got to die. If you really want to you know, honor the Lord and be part of his kingdom in a godly way, you have to be willing to serve the purpose of God and in others. So you put yourself second. You put others first. So that's that principle. The second principle, it just supports it. You treat others the way you want to be treated. You, if if you if you wouldn't do something to someone, don't don't do it to others yourself. So, for example, the Tory Burch illustration. I can't imagine Tory Burch, the owner of that company, viewing that in any way as being sound customer service. Surely she wouldn't. She wouldn't want to be treated that way herself. Why is she allowing her customers to be treated that way? That is not the golden rule. That is not putting the customer first. So these are, this is, I think, the mindset that we need to have if we're going to deliver great customer service. Now, an example of this happened about 30 years ago. Uh, EMC in the late 80s, early 90s was a competitor to IBM in doing data storage systems. And back then, companies were rapidly moving into a high level of data storage. We were beginning the transition from, from paperless uh, from paper uh, paper-based systems to paperless systems. Of course, now we're we're in the almost 30 years uh, from that, and downstream of that, we're we're very much into a paperless mode. But this is in the early stages, so it was very nascent. But still, there were a lot of data needs. So there were large data systems that were being made by IBM and by EMC. They were really the leaders, and EMC realized because they made a huge mistake and almost went bankrupt 
that they had to really have superior customer service. I just want to illustrate their customer service to you before I really tell you more about their story. Uh, <clears throat> as we've talked about in this training on executional excellence, we have to know what drives results. And what drives results is first and foremost, how you think about God, who God is to you. Now, you may or may not have a correct view of God, but the more correct it is, the better your results are gonna be. Because a correct view of God leads to sound philosophy, which leads to sound values, which leads to sound principles, which leads to sound practices, which leads to sound results. That's the way it works. So this is the maxim of how your theology connects to your results. So I don't know really what EMC, what, what the leadership team believed about God or what their real philosophy was, but we know that they had, they valued survival, they valued reputation. So what would they do, you know, if in a situation like they had where they had made a manufacturing error that had potentially cost their customers a lot of money, which is gonna cost EMC potentially, potentially its existence. It was on the verge of going out of business because of this manufacturing error that got put installed in the field and a bunch of customers were having problems with their data, data being lost, data being corrupted. And now EMC is in a panic. How do we fix this problem? Well, first they've got to value survival and they have to value the reputation because without a reputation, they're not going to exist. So the principle that they embraced to help them was put service as priority one and service trumps money. We will sacrifice profit to deliver great service and service is what we will be known for. Their practices then where everyone in the company takes ownership, everyone decides you know, that they are gonna be part of the solution. This is not gonna be an organization with a bunch of catacombs. You know, the catacomb in theory is everybody's got their silo you know, and everybody's got their separate responsibilities and they do not cooperate or help each other. But EMC realized, hey, we have got to help each other. We have got to cooperate. Everybody in the company has got to be a, a troubleshooter. So you could call that company and ask for anybody. You can ask for the chief engineer. And when they answered the phone, they're, they're there to serve you. And they would own the problem with you. Can you imagine that? Own the problem with you until it's solved. And their stories were, they own problems that were not theirs. There's one story in particular where a customer calls and uh, there was a problem. And the problem was with IBM software that was running on the machine that had the, the data storage, uh, EMC data storage units in it. And finally, after some work, EMC discovered it was a software problem, contacted IBM. IBM gave them the patch. EMC installed the patch. The customer never knew it was an IBM problem. They, all they knew is that the problem got fixed. They never knew how. That's the level of service EMC got to. You see, EMC in the late 80s was nearly bankrupt because of this manufacturing defect that was now in virtually all their customers' machines. And now, what are they going to do? They had a choice. They could throw in the towel and just give up, say it's done, file for bankruptcy, or they could take a very radical view. And this is what they did. They went to the customers, they apologized for the problem, and they said, we're gonna make it right, and here's what we're offering you. We will either exchange this defective hard drive for a new one from that we make that will not have the defect in it, 
or we will buy at our expense you an IBM hard drive. You, it's your choice. Many of the customers took the IBM. EMC became a big IBM customer that year, which that sounds so ironic because that was their competitor. But that's what they committed. They, they bought it and put it in and serviced it just like it was their own, paid for everything. There are many that, that decided to trust EMC. They thought, wow, this is a pretty incredible offer here. Almost no one would do this, so we'll give it a shot. They did, and EMC came through. The other side of that is that customers realized that EMC was going to stand behind their products. And then they experienced this proactive customer service that EMC delivered. Not only did they turn everyone in the company into part of the customer service department, but they set up a proactive customer service system basically a computer that monitored all of their customer installations. And if at any point in time, the any system from any customer uh, uh, was that there was a detection of any kind of problem going wrong with, with an EMC system, EMC would dispatch a serviceman. There was a story of one bank that EMC detected that the hard drive was about to fail. It had not failed, but they were getting signals back from their, their monitoring system of saying, it, this is it's getting a little shaky. They send a, a service agent out there, knocks on the back door of the bank, the, the bank opens the door and they say, why are you here? And he says, well, our system has detected that you have a hard drive that's almost, it's close to failure. I'm here to replace it before it fails. The bank is blown away. They'd never seen anything like this where they, you know, cut, things don't have to fail before they get repaired. And so they became a very loyal EMC customer as a result. So this fanatical commitment to care for the customer, this fanatical commitment to the right customer service, including the proactive monitoring systems to anticipate problems before they happen, built, enabled EMC to build an incredible reputation. In fact, it was such a strong reputation that one writer of business writer noted that EMC looks like God. That's exactly what he said. Their, rest, rest, their uh, reputation became stellar. And as a result of that, people began to pay premium pricing. They would pay a premium over IBM to be able to get an EMC product. Of course, this shocked IBM because they were the ones getting premium pricing before. And now after everyone's experience and the reputation that EMC built, probably by the mid nineties, you know, within a decade of this fiasco, EMC was the, the gold star producer and the gold star leader in their field. And they got premium pricing and priority service. And people knew I will pay a premium just to get EMC's customer service. That's what they were after. They valued it so much. So that's a great example of right customer service. Another example today is Southwest Airlines in an industry that's known to be a dismal industry that is historically not made a profit, where virtually every major airline has gone broke at some point. Southwest Airlines has been in existence for almost 50 years. It has never been bankrupt and it's always made a profit. In an industry that it struggles to make a profit, this airline consistently makes a profit year after year after year, and it's never been through bankruptcy. Well, how is this? How could this happen? Well, this is a company that is fanatical 
about right customer service, and they expressed that through the golden rule. And they figured out how to really serve customers well. So they've adopted a principle. Employees first, customers second, shareholders third. Those are their principles. And the way they practice that is they rigorously hire and train the right employees, the right people, and they really hold them to the high standard. If you don't if you don't adopt the golden rule as a very high principle in your world, personally, individually, if they can't see that, you're not going to last at Southwest because that's critical. Because the Southwest management knows the key to delivering great value to the customers is having great employees. Because the management team, they can't touch everybody. They touch only the employees. Employees touch all the customers. So how do we touch the customers well? We have really great employees who are selected carefully, trained carefully, held to a high level of accountability, treated very well. So this is a stark contrast to American Airlines, which uh, struggles here and Southwest absolutely soars here and they consistently deliver great value. So. They're the only consistently profitable airlines in history ever. Of all the publicly held airlines, it's the only one that's consistently made a profit. So these are examples of fanatical customer service, right customer service, and what that does for us. It produces great value, great experiences, great reputation, and all of these companies that, that practice right customer service understand reputation is more important than silver or gold. That's what scripture says. Reputation is more important than profit. They will invest profit into delivering that great customer service. And one of the quick example of, of how this worked out in Southwest Airlines is there's a story that Herb Kelleher shared about a couple of Southwest Airlines employees. They, were, they had finished their work duty that day and were walking out to the parking garage to go home. And they come across a man who has uh, is changing a flat tire. This man's in a suit. He's clearly been on a business trip. And, and they offered to help the man. The man turned to them and was kind of timid at first. And he said, well, uh, I appreciate your offer, but I didn't fly Southwest. And the Southwest employees responded, oh, it doesn't matter. We're happy to help you. That's the attitude you want in your employees. It isn't about the money. It isn't about who you did business with. It's we're just here to serve. And we will sacrifice our time. We're on our time. We're not no company time. We're on our time right now. We'll sacrifice our time and our energy. Even though we're tired, we're going to do that to serve you well. Now, they never said all that to him, but that's what they were doing. They were showing we really care. We want to help you. We're treating you the way we would, we would appreciate being treated. So it doesn't matter whether you did business with us or not. You're a human being that needs help. We're here to help you. That's what you want in great, great workers. And it comes from management teams who invest in building those, training those workers, finding those workers. Not every worker will do that. You have to find them and you train them and support them and treat them well. So that's how you deliver great customer service. May the Lord grant us grace to learn how to do that really well for his glory. In Jesus' name, amen.